Last week, we walked through Philippians chapter one and uh, we discovered that Paul had just a foundational statement. It's a cliche that we throw up sometimes and we're talking about life as Christians and what it looks like to be a Christ follower. And he made this foundational uh, radical statement. He said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And he said, I'm torn between the two. Later in that chapter, he said to, to stay with you and to serve you and encourage you, but to depart and be with Christ is far better. And as I thought about that this week, I thought, you know what? I'm going to pause this week and take a little interlude and uh, expound Paul's thoughts a little bit on why in the world did Paul say that death is gain? Why in the world does the Bible say that blessed are those who die in Jesus Christ? How in the world can we come to the place where we say to depart and, and to be with Christ is far, far better? And so we're going to expound on that this this morning. One of the banner of useless information and trivia, which I'm a vir- virtual storehouse of. I'd like to announce that June the 20th, also known as summer solstice, is the official longest day of the year. You're welcome. However, while that is the longest day of the year officially, I find that experientially the longest days of the year are the days leading up to a much needed and long awaited vacation. Amen. Fall is my absolutely favorite season. I love the weather. I love the food. I love the leaves turning. I love the food. I love the activities. I love the food of fall. Just I love everything about the fall except candy corn. Listen, if you're here this morning, and you like candy corn. You're not welcome here. I just want to share that. What sicko takes wax and colors it and tries to give it his kids as candy? All right. But even thank you. But even though I love fall, every time it starts to turn just a little colder as it starts these past couple weeks, my mind starts to drift about and think about vacation and a warm beach and warm weather and sunshine and all of those things. And if you notice this, it just builds anticipation. And you would probably agree with me this morning that life is always a little sweeter, always a little better when vacation is on the horizon. When you're taking a vacation, uh, some of you may contact a travel agent or you surf the net or you, you, you poll your friends and say, hey, we're thinking about going somewhere. Where would you go? And if you went here, what would you do? And where are the places to stop and eat? You, you began to look at pictures, you know, and virtual tours. You began to, with the high cost of gas, you began to calculate, is it cheaper to fly or drive to Dayton? You know, just those kind of things you... You begin to look at those things. You, if you're going to the beach, you listen, let's just get honest. If you're going to the beach, you schedule some tanning bed appointments because everyone knows that tan fat looks better than white fat. Okay. That's just something that I live by. And so you kind of schedule those, those things in there. Was that out loud? I guess it was. You begin to look at your rewards points and frequent flyer miles and you check out golf courses or shopping places, or if you're me, you, you have the whole list of planning out where you're going to eat before you even get there. You're on the Urban Spoon and all those reviews and, and all those things. And when you're a week out, you start to get on there every single day and check the weather. What's it going to be like when we get there? What, what's it going to be like midweek? And as the day approaches, you just obsess over all of these details. And there's so much planning before taking a trip and so much anticipation. Well, the Bible says this is that you and I, everyone in this room, will be going on a long trip. In fact, it will last for all of eternity. 
And despite the, the options that you may think are out there on a temporal vacation, listen, the Bible only gives two options for that trip, heaven in the place of Jesus Christ or hell, spending it apart from Jesus Christ as the only two eternal destination the Bible ever talks about. And so this morning, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 21. And I want to flesh out this idea that we talked about last week and, and how Paul could say with such confidence that, hey, to die is gain, to depart and be with Christ is far, far better in the eyes of the Apostle Paul. I think one of the reasons we have such a difficult time thinking of death as gain is because we spend so little time teaching and meditating on the realities of heaven. And we've let Hollywood hijack our theology. And so we think it's going to be this and, and maybe it's this. And people have written books who have been there and back and, and they say it's this. And, and how does that line up with Scripture? And so uh, the reality is we spend so little time. We don't know the details of heaven. And so it breeds a little, uh, not, not maybe the anticipation that it should. Now, this morning, we're only going to hit the highlights in Revelation chapter one. We could literally preach a series about eternity and uh, hopefully do that in the future sometime. But this morning, we're just going to hit the highlights and explore a little more why the Apostle Paul said that death is gain and to depart and be with Christ is far, far better. Now, if you've been in church for a long time, then you sat under some sermons uh, decades ago that would frighten people about the horrors of hell and, and the, the church has kind of pulled back from that. And we don't we don't teach on that, even though it's a reality. But the other end of the spectrum that we pulled back is we don't talk about heaven a lot either, do we? We talk about how to live in the here and now and how to have a better life and how to have your best life now. And, and we talk about how to fix this and fix that in your life. But we spend so little time teaching and meditating on the truths of heaven. And then we wonder why people are disappointed when this life doesn't go as plain. And the reason is this is because this isn't heaven. This isn't our home for those that know Christ. We're citizens of a different place that the Bible describes as heaven. I read one guy this week in my study. He said there are a lot of Christians who aren't excited about heaven, who don't see death as gain for the same reason they're scared of their DVD player or their digital camera. They don't know enough about it. And ignorance breeds a lack of anticipation. I can say amen to that. This, this past week, I converted over I had a conversion experience. I got an iPhone. And someone said, oh, you're great. You're going to love it. Now, listen, no joke. My car has a cassette player in it. OK. And so my kids got in a car. My daughter said, is that, what is that? How do you know what that is? Is that one of those tape players, Dad? And so when I got the phone, I was like, oh, it does this and it does that. And someone said, how do you like your phone? I said, you know, it rings and it calls. And other than that, I, you know, it's the phone. It's all the same, right? There's some ignorance there in mind, so there's not this excitement about all the, the realities of it. And this writer was saying, listen, some heaven's a little bit that way on a much grander scale. We're, we're not exactly sure what's going to be there. And so it doesn't breed this anticipation until we start to meditate on the truth. And uh, there's just we're not as excited to go as we should be sometimes and don't live with that eternal perspective. I remember the story of a, a pastor who was preaching. And he got all stirred up. He was preaching on heaven and uh, he said, it's going to be an incredible place. And, and it's going to be all these things there. And who wants to go there? And people. People shout amen and raise up their hand, except one little boy on the front row, wide eyed. The pastor looked at me and said, little boy, he said, don't you want to go to heaven, too? And he said, well, sure, someday. But the way you were talking, I thought you're getting a bus load up right now. Right. And so we're not sure what that means. And so we don't think about it. We don't teach on it. So we're not as anticipated. We don't always resonate with Paul when he said, listen, to depart and be with Christ far better and to die is gain. Another factor that squashes our excitement over heaven is that Satan is a liar, doomed for all of eternity, cast out of heaven over his pride. And uh, one of Satan's favorite lies is Revelation 13, 6, which says this. 
It says he opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name in his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. Author Randy Alcorn's written a book about heaven. Some of you uh, have read that. So it's a great book. Uh, he challenges some of the myths of heaven based upon our preconceived ideas versus what the scripture teaches. And Randy Alcorn points out this. He says, our enemy slanders three things. God's person, God's people and God's place. Heaven. Now, this morning, here's how I just kind of operate on, on the basis of heaven, even was when I, before I was a Christian, uh, even when I was uh, not a totally committed Christian. Here's just kind of my thinking on the subject. If God created it and God is its chief inhabitant, then God probably has the authority to decide what's going to be there and what's going to take place. Amen. And so, so many times people say, well, this is going to be like heaven. And you see TV shows. Well, heaven will be like this. And listen, why don't we just open up and take God at his word when he begins to describe what that place is like and why we can say with confidence when we know Jesus Christ that it is far, far better. Revelation chapter 21. We're going to look this morning at verses one through six in an overview about heaven. He says, now, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away also. There was no more sea. And then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there'll be no more death nor sorrow, nor crying. And there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And so this morning, just in our, in our time together this morning, I just want to look, pull out three truths to get an overview and flesh out this idea that heaven is far better. And the Apostle Paul made that statement, just a couple of principles here in this passage that we discover this and laying the foundation of what heaven's really like this morning is this. First off, we find this passage simply this, that heaven is an actual, literal place. And I've heard people teach before that all the details of heaven are just symbolic and it's allegorical. And, and listen, heaven's not like that. And, and you're not going to have a body in heaven. And, and the, some of the details there, they're, they're just meant to be symbolic. Or, or I've heard other people teach that, listen, heaven's more of a state of mind. Heaven's just a place kind of where, where there's just this state of mind. And it's kind of a, a euphoria after you die or those kinds of things. But can I tell you this morning, that's not the picture that the Bible teaches. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in John chapter 14, speaking to his disciples, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. He didn't say I go to prepare a state of mind. He didn't say I go to prepare a human or an environment. He said, I go to prepare a literal place for you. And so it's not a figment of our imagination. It's not a state of mind. It is a literal, actual place. Now, tell me some things about that actual actuality of it. Well, first off, we read in Scripture at various points that it will be a place of restoration, a total restoration project. Acts chapter 3, verse 21 says that God will restore everything. Matthew nineteen twenty eight says there will be a renewal or a restoration. I love the whole idea of before and after. I love everything when you find something that's broke and it's messed up and the idea that someone pours something into it and it's totally transformed. My favorite show to watch uh, on, on TV is Flip This House. How many of you have ever watched that show? Natasha, she says, I have no idea. Listen, she says, you don't own a hammer. Why do you like that? 
And I said, I love to dream and watch other people do it. That's why I'm a pastor. Amen. I heard our, a couple of our staff raise their hands. OK, hey, listen, the, the whole idea that, that, that heaven is a place of restoration, that the things that are old will be made new again, is an idea that's taught in Scripture. Look at Revelation chapter 21, verse one. It says, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And then we don't know all the details about that. And, and some scholars speculate. So I think it's like a, a, a new, a restored Garden of Eden. And it's a, just a place of, of paradise. But Revelation 21, the word new here means new in quality, not as if it's never existed before. For example, if I invited you over to my house and said, hey, listen, we, we've got a new bathroom in our house. You wouldn't assume that before that we were using an outhouse or a porta potty. OK, you, at least I, I hope we're not. OK, I just want to clarify that this morning. All right. You say, oh, no, new in quality is what he means. It's the same idea in the original language here in this place. And so it describes a place of restoration. Despite we don't know all the details, it talks about old things being made new again, a place of restoration. The Bible also says there'll be some restoration that goes on in an actual place, but we'll also have an actual city. Where do I get that from? Look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 2. He says, and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Now, I remember my first church, I was teaching the young adults class. And I was 26 years old, so I was waxing eloquent there. And uh, these people, they're just a couple of years younger than me. And I remember teaching on heaven and the afterlife and death and all those things. And I remember describing getting this passage in Scripture. And I was uh, just just passionately teaching. I said, let me let me draw this out for you. And so I'm I'm drawing all these things on the whiteboard behind me and some of the dimensions that we'll walk through and, and some of these things. And, uh, and in the middle of it, I just put NJ right in the middle. And this girl that's in class, uh, she, she gets this puzzled look on her face. And uh, she said, I said, well, you don't look excited about what we're teaching about. She said, I've just got to be honest with you, preacher. She said, I hope when I die, I go somewhere a lot better than New Jersey. And I, I said, no, 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 that's not what we're describing here. I said, look what it says. And she said, oh, I've never heard that before. I didn't know what you were talking about. And so I began to describe this out. And she said, oh, that's better, far better than I ever could imagine what it was like. The Bible describes it as a city that will be known as a new Jerusalem. We see this in Hebrews chapter 11 and 12. In Revelation chapter 13, we see the same thing. In Revelation 21, 23, listen to this about the new city. It says in Revelation 21, 23, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the lamb or the son of God is its lamp. Incredible. Look at chapter 21, verses 15 through 17, describing this holy city. It says, and he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its wall. And this city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth and height are equal. So it's a cube. And then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man that is of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. And he begins to list through that. In verse 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. The street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And so he began to describe the dimensions of this holy city, New Jerusalem. And when you look at those dimensions, he's describing an area just of the holy city that's about two million square miles. Now, if you're like me and you have a hard time quantifying that, what does that mean? He, he, let me give you some dimensions here. 
It would stretch from Canada to Mexico, from Kentucky to California, and it would be 780,000 stories high. And that's just the holy city, New Jerusalem. And so when someone says, hey, how many people get to heaven? Write this down. This is a scientific equation, right? Write this down. A lot. You got that? A whole bunch. A matter of fact, I love the passage in Revelation where it says, I looked around and the saints were innumerable around the throne. And so the Bible begins to describe this place of an actual city, of an actual restoration that takes place. It's not some mystical area that would exempt from dimensions or, or corporeal beings and bodies. It's not some state of mind. It is an actual place that Paul had his mind on when he said, hey, listen, to die is gain and depart to be with Christ is far, far better. But not only do we find this passage that heaven's an actual place, heaven is also a transforming place. How many of you have seen the movie Chronicles of Narnia? Have you, have you seen, seen that movie? Yeah, lots of you have seen that movie. In the Chronicles of Narnia, the children live at home uh, with the Lord and their, and their adventure. He puts things in perspective by telling the children. He says this. He said, our own world is only a shadow or a copy of something in Aslan's real world. And for those of you who haven't seen the movie, Aslan represents Jesus Christ. OK, so, so why would C.S. Lewis write that to describe heaven? What's well, because the Bible talks about it's a place where transformation, a better thing, it's just a shadow there, takes place. First John 3, 2 says this. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so heaven is a transforming place. So what does that mean? Look at verse four, two categories of transformation here. Verse 4, he says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death. And so there is physical transformation that takes place. And we have a body, a glorified body, a spirit-energized body, and we don't know all the details of that. There's a lot of speculation. I've heard some people ask questions, well, if an infant dies and they go to, go to heaven, does that mean they'll be an infant or an adult for all of eternity? Or does that mean that like Jesus was 33 years old? And so when it says we'll have a body like his, does that mean we'll be like 33 years old? What does that mean? The Bible does give all those details. So there's, there's some speculation about some of those details. I've had people ask me, I don't know how many times people have asked me this or said this, especially in a funeral setting. When someone passed away, everybody thinks, well, they, they, I just got another angel. No, no, no. People do not turn into angels when they die. Do you understand that? Angels are angels and people are people. And so what, what, what exactly does that take place? The Bible does give a lot of details, but let me just share this with you with full confidence, knowing that the Bible does give a lot of details. All right. Remember this. You will not be disappointed. No one will look around and go, is this it? Is, it, is this in the physical transformation? Is this all I get? Right. And so it's tough to exactly know exactly what it means, but that's an encouraging thought, that idea of instant transformation. So much of our marketing is built on that idea that you can do this and take this pill and tomorrow you'll look like this or or buy this product and do this. Our whole we just have this infatuation with instant transformation. I reminded the story of a country farmer along with his wife and son ventured to the big city for the first time. They were amazed by how, by everything they saw. They parked in front of a huge building and the wife stayed in the car while the father and son went in to buy their first big city newspaper. And while they were there in the lobby of this building, they were mesmerized by two shiny silver walls that would move apart and then back together again. The boy asked his father, hey, Paul, what's that? And the father, never having seen an elevator in his life, said, son, I've never seen anything like this in my life. I don't know what it is. 
And while the boy and his father were watching wide-eyed, an elderly lady limping slightly with a cane walked into the bottom floor of that elevator and pressed the buttons on the walls. And the walls opened. The lady walked between them into a small room. And the walls closed and the boy and his father watched and small circles of light began to light up and flash intermittently and they began to go up. And they continued to watch until the second story and had opened up and a beautiful 24-year-old woman walked past them and smiled and said, good afternoon. The father turned to his son and said, boy, go get your mama. Amen. (laughs) Heaven will be a place of real instant transformation. And the Bible says that in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be like him. How, how fast is that? Someone who had too much time on their hands said a twinkle of an eye is about one fifty second of a second. It's that fast. It will be transformed into a glorified or spirit energized body that never wears out. And that's why the Bible says in heaven, there'll be no more death. There'll be no disease. There'll be no physical infirmities. Every person who is lame will walk again. Sight will return to the blind and hearing to the deaf. It'll be a place where immediately you'll be transformed. And we don't know all the details but you will not get there and go, is that it? Is this all? And so it describes a place of physical transformation where our body is sown in corruption, is raised in glory or a glorified body, a spirit energized body that never wears out. Listen to first Corinthians 15. It says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And doesn't mean it doesn't have form to it. It's a spirit energized, glorified body. Romans eight twenty three says this. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Paul a little later in Philippians said this. He said, my citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. And so heaven's a place where physical transformation takes place. We don't know the details, but I promise you it will be far better in the words of the Apostle Paul. But also, the Bible describes heaven as a place where you're transformed spiritually as well. Look at verse 4. And God wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, there'll be no suffering in heaven. There'll be no broken hearts in heaven. There'll be no grieving about all the effects of sin and the curse of sin that dominates this world. Look on in verse four. There'll be no sorrow. There'll be no crying. There'll be no more pain for the former things have passed away. No no more inclination to sin. No more temptation going on inside of us. Finally, our sin nature will be destroyed in that eternal place. No, No more rebellion. No one hurt because of the effects of sin in heaven. Imagine that environment. We were hearing a story about Joni Erickson Tata. Many of you uh, know who she is. She founded a ministry uh, called Joni and Friends. And Joni Erickson Tata is a quadriplegic from a diving accident at the age of 17. And she didn't look at her, at, her, at her situation in life as an obstacle. She saw it as an opportunity. And she's become one of the greatest witnesses for Jesus Christ among those who have been disabled. And one day on a radio show, they were talking about this passage and about heaven. And she began to get excited and she said, oh, I can't I can't wait for heaven to be renewed again. All those things. And her co-host said this. He said, I bet you're looking forward to running and jumping. And she paused. And here's what she said. She said, well, yes, I do look forward to being free from my wheelchair. That is exciting. She said, but what really gets me excited 
is finally being free from my sin. Randy Alcorn says we've allowed Satan to dupe us into the thinking that the temporary pleasures of sin could be even in the same league as the blessings and opportunities of all of eternity. And we're trading a cheap imitation of the same thing. And there's no comparison. Paul goes on to say, first Corinthians chapter 15, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. And the dead will be raised and we will be changed. You see, heaven is a place of transformation, both physically and spiritually. But lastly, we find this passage is this. Is that heaven's not only an actual place, not only is it a transforming place, we also see in this passage, heaven's an exciting place. It's an exciting place. And so many times we have this idea that, that heaven is just floating on a cloud and playing a harp. Or if you're really carnal, a banjo or some, amen, some, just some, something like that, right? Or heaven's just this place where it's just, Serene. But can I tell you this? That when the Bible talks about being there and seeing the one face to face that you've spent your life sacrificing for, praying to, meditating on, trusting in, crying out, worshiping, there'll be no silence in heaven. It'll be the sounds of praise coming forth from the saints, crying out for all of eternity. Holy, holy, holy for all of eternity is the Lord God Almighty. It will be an exciting place of reunion. Yes, with people that have gone on before us, the Bible says you will know them as they were known. But more importantly, a place of reunion with the Father Himself and the Son who sits on the throne. Look at verse 3, what it says here. And I heard a loud voice from seven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. I mean, l- l- listen to this. Now, 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 contrast this against the Bible where it says, No man has seen God and lived. But what does it say about heaven? Verse 3. And He will dwell with them. And they shall be His people. And God Himself will be with them in their God. I don't know about you, but that makes all the things on this side of eternity worth it. And in that day, when I'm standing before him, there will not be an ounce or a thought that crosses my mind that says, I wish I would have sacrificed less. I wish I would have shared the gospel less. I wish I would have served less. No, at that point in time, the only thing I was going through my mind, apart from the praise of God, is this. I wish I had done more for Jesus Christ. I wish I had poured out more of my life. This is incredible. That's why Paul said, I'm torn between the two. I desire to part and be with Christ, which is better by far. Several years ago, I discovered one of the greatest inventions ever. It's known as the sample spoon at Graders. Can I get a witness? And I had never been to Graders. And, and sometimes, and this, maybe this is a little too transparent. Sometimes when I don't have money in there, I just go and keep sampling until I'm full and then I leave. Amen. I just and I'm sorry as your pastor, <laughs> but that's true. But I remember walking in and I just I never been there. I was like, oh, you got to get this. Get this. this is great. Great. And uh, listen, about as high class as I was is, is was Dairy Queen. OK, and so I walked in I'm like it's incredible. And then the person looked across the counter and said, would you like some free ice cream? I thought, you talking to me? And I said, well, yes, I would. And then 
in a, in a moment of evil, he pulls out a spoon that couldn't feed Ella's baby doll, okay? It's this big. And he reaches out, and I'm thinking, I'm getting free ice cream. He reaches out and says, pick what you want. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm picking. And he pulls out a snowflake size of black raspberry chip. I can't even say it without getting emotional. And hands across the counter to me, all six feet, 160 pounds of me. I was in the first grade, okay? I just want to clear, I just want to share that. Now, why do they do that? It's because they want to whet your appetite for the things that could come. They want to give you a small sample of what could be if you just take the next step of faith and buy whatever it is that they're selling, right? Can I tell you this? That I believe that every now and then on this side of eternity, God gives us a small sample spoon of what heaven will be like. That there are times when you have been praying for someone and sharing with someone and encouraging someone and you're there when they step into the baptistry and God says, hey, listen, in that wonderful and as a tear rolls down your cheek, all you can think of sample spoon. Or there's times when you and a friend break into laughter you haven't seen in years or you're going through a tough time and a friend comes along in the Lord and just encourages you and pours in your life and says, I'm praying for you. And you say, oh, I needed to hear that. It is a sample spoon of all of eternity. When you go to the doctor and they say, you know what, the tumor's not there anymore. I have no explanation. We don't find any trace of what we saw there before. As great as that is, it is a sample spoon of all of eternity because in the presence of God, it says we will be with him. We will be changed like him and he will dwell with us for all of eternity. So heaven is an exciting place. Some of you listen, now this is crazy. Some of you, when you get to heaven and you worship, you're going to smile. You know, I just I tell people and listen, when you go to Baptist church, there should be a little little chorus that we just put in our hearts. If you're happy and you know it, tell your face. Amen. And I don't know if that day will come when you finally smile at worship. And I don't date that day when it comes, when you realize that all the blessings and enjoying things of life were nothing but a sample spoon because you're in the presence of the one who bought, bought your redemption. I don't know if that'll be 50 years from now or five minutes. But I know this, whenever the time comes and it will, the only thing that will matter is are you ready? And your heavenly travel agent has an incredible venture for all of eternity. And he stamped the ticket with one word. Jesus. People ask me still, can good people go to heaven? Listen, if good people go to heaven when they die, Jesus would have never had to die on the cross. And I've never understood people that want to spend all of eternity with Jesus in heaven, but want nothing to do with him here on earth. I've never understood that. But the Bible says clearly that I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And those words were spoken by Jesus Christ. Heaven's an actual place. Heaven's a place that's far better. Heaven's a place that's transforming. And heaven is a place 
of reunion and restoration. Those questions have clear answers. And the only question that needs to be answered this morning is this about heaven. Will you be there? Will you be there? Will you be there? You might you bow your heads this morning. Let's answer that question right now.